At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following the prepared remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to participate in this portion of the call, please press the star then one key on your touchtone telephone. If any assistance is needed any time during the call, please press star then zero and the coordinator will be happy to assist you. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. I would now like to turn the call over to your host, Mr. Martin Vieca, Senior Director of Investor Relations. Mr. Vieca, you may now proceed. Thank you, Sherry, and good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Tesla's first quarter 2019 Q&A webcast. I'm joined today by Elon Musk, J.B. Straubel, Zachary Kirkhorn, and a number of other executives. Our Q1 results were announced at about 2 p.m. Pacific time in the update letter we published at the same link as this webcast. During this call, we will discuss our business outlook and make forward-looking statements. These comments are based on our predictions and expectations as of today. Actual events or results could differ materially due to a number of risks or uncertainties, including those mentioned in our most recent filings with the SEC. During the question and answer portion of today's call, please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Please press star one now if you would like to uh, add, uh, be added to the question queue. But before we jump into Q&A, Elon has some opening remarks. Elon? Uh, thanks, Martin. <clears throat> on, on Monday, we hosted our first ever Autonomy Investor Day, showcasing our new in-house designed full self-driving computer and our AI-based software trained by more than 400,000 Tesla vehicles. Uh, all Tesla cars being built today have uh, all the hardware necessary for full self-driving um, and over-the-air updates will enable uh, our customers to use the Tesla ride-hailing ride network fleet uh, and generate income, which, um, as we said on Autonomy Day a few days ago, um, we think is somewhere between ten and and, and thirty thousand dollars a year. In some cases, perhaps more. We're the only company in the world producing our own vehicles and batteries, as well as our own in-house chip for, for full self-driving. Uh, we're in a position unlike anyone else in the industry. And in 2020, we expect to have a million robo-taxis on the road with the hardware necessary for full self-driving. We believe we'll have the most profitable autonomous taxi on the market. Uh, and perhaps the, yeah. Um, uh, last quarter, we experienced a massive increase in delivery volume in Europe, similar to what North America experienced last year, um, as well as a massive increase in delivery volume to, to China. As far as challenges go, this was a good one to have because we built vehicles and consumers bought them. But this rapid increase in overseas volume strained our logistics operation and resulted in over half of our global deliveries occurring in the final 10 days of Q1. Uh, this, this was the most uh, difficult logistics problem I've ever seen, and I've seen some, some tough ones. Uh, so I'll say it again, like we literally delivered the half of all vehicles produced, or half of all deliveries, occurred in literally the final 10 days of, of Q1. As a result, a, no, a large number of vehicles, vehicle deliveries uh, shifted into Q2, which caused net, a Q1 net income to be negatively uh, impacted, as we simply could not get the vehicles to customers physically in time. In response to this, we are in the process of regionally balancing our vehicle bills throughout the quarter. Uh, this will make the, uh, uh, this will put much less strain on Tesla result in a much better uh, delivery experience for customers um, and um, have a very positive effect on our working capital uh, in the middle of the quarter. Uh, in Q1, Model 3 was yet again the best-selling premium car in the U.S., outselling the runner-up by almost 60%. You know, it's worth just dwelling on that for a moment, just how uh, absurd this is compared to predictions that were made several years ago. Uh, uh, there were, literally, to the best of my knowledge, zero predictions that, that this, this would happen if you go back just even five, five or six years ago. Um, then, then an electric car would be the best-selling um, premium car in the U.S. Um, and, and we believe over time it will be the best-selling premium car throughout the world. Uh, and in fact, in in Norway, in March, um, uh, we, uh, we we set a record for the highest sales of any car period ever, um, and that'd be something similar in, in Switzerland as well. So, 
Um, these are really incredible achievements by the Tesla team. Um, since the introduction of Standard Range and Standard Range Plus, nearly 70% of trade-ins for Model 3 have actually been non-premium vehicles, uh, where, where people are actually paying more for a car than they have ever paid for a car. They never anticipated paying this much for a car, but because they, they want the Model 3 more than they've ever wanted a vehicle, they're willing to, to uh, pay more to get a Model 3. Um, so, and, and keep in mind, global expansion for the Model 3 has just begun, and this segment is uh, vastly larger, larger uh, internationally than it is in the U.S. We're continuing to make significant improvements to our vehicle lineup, including updating the Model S and X production line to accommodate the next generation of powertrains. So, the, we announced this uh, yesterday. Um, we're now in production with uh, the um, significantly more advanced powertrain for the Model S and X, as well as an upgrade to the suspension system to have uh, uh, active adaptive uh, damping in the suspension system uh, and to enable charging at 200 kilowatts, uh, which is, um, and, and there are a number of other small, small changes. Uh, if anyone um, is thinking about upgrading their Model S or X, this is a, a great time to do it. Um, and uh, we also introduced a loyalty program where uh, if, if somebody has an, is an existing Tesla owner and they buy a performance Model S or X, they get the ludicrous upgrade for free. So this, uh, um, yeah, you know, as, a, as a thank you and appreciation to uh, existing Tesla customers. So they have a long, longer range. The, the, the Model S now uh, has a range of 370 miles. This is an actual EPA range of 370 miles. And Motor Trend uh, test drove the car uh, a few days ago and drove nonstop all the way from San Francisco to Los Angeles at normal highway speeds. Um, and they, they said they could have even gone faster. And they were, they were in a headwind as well. So this is uh, pretty remarkable that an electric car go nonstop between uh, the, the, the two biggest cities in California. Um, I, I mean, I remember back when I was driving gasoline cars, I always had to stop at the gas station. <laughs> this is literally better than a gasoline car, with, with, with rare exception. Um, and it, it, there's also an increase in uh, power, um, so it accelerates faster, it's just better, better in every way. Um, and we're able to do this without increasing the size of the battery pack, which is uh, a testament to, to the powertrain team and uh, for, for, for being able to uh, improve the efficiency of the powertrain by, by such a significant margin. Um, so with the recently announced product improvements on Model S and X, as well as continued expansion of Model 3 globally, we expect our order rate to increase uh, significantly uh, throughout the year uh, and, and commensurate with our production levels. Um, and uh, in terms of other products, I'm very excited about the future for, for, for other products, especially for full self-driving, which will fundamentally transform uh, transport as we know it. Um, the, the, the Tesla semi-truck, Model Y, uh, uh, improvements to Powerwall, Powerpack, uh, the solar roof version 3, on the energy side, um, and uh, no question, no question, no question in my mind that Tesla has the most exciting product roadmap of any uh, consumer product company in the world. And finally, I want to thank our uh, employees for their incredible work and our customers for their continued support. Uh, thank you very much, Elon. And I think uh, Zach uh, Zachary would like to have some remarks as well. Yeah, thank you, Martin, um, and thank you, Elon, as well. Uh, you know, overall, as we reflect on the progress of Q1, this was one of the most complicated quarters that I can think of in the history of the company, uh, and it was ambitious even by Tesla's own standards. Uh, you know, the global expansion of Model 3 was a huge theme within the quarter. We launched the standard range lineup for Model 3, uh, product retooling for Model S and Model X, which Elon just talked about with the range enhancements uh, and suspension upgrades. And then we implemented various pricing adjustments 
uh, and, and uh, worked through the corresponding impact that had on our order mix and deliverable cars. So there's two key themes that I'd like to discuss uh, uh, briefly, and then we'll open it up to Q&A uh, around cash and profitability for the quarter. First, on the cash front, uh, we exited Q1 with $2.2 billion in cash and cash equivalents on hand. This was a $1.5 billion reduction from our 2018 ending cash balance. Uh, this reduction is attributed to two factors. The first is that we paid off $920 million convertible note on March 1st. Uh, note for those of you looking to the cash flow statement, um, $188 million of this is flowing to our operating cash flows. Uh, the balance uh, to the $1.5 billion reduction is more than explained by the working capital impact of expanding Model 3 operations overseas. And the two components to this, which we've discussed, is that an international operation uh, naturally commands additional working capital because of transit times, but then also the stress on our delivery operations meant that not all of our cars were delivered. Both of these factors, which occurred in Q1, we do not expect to repeat in Q2. Uh, and we expect our quarter-ending cash balance to continue to increase going forward. I'll also note that we're tracking in April to the largest a month of deliveries for a month one in the history of the company. Uh, on the working capital point, you know, as Elon noted, 50% of our deliveries in Q1 occurred in the final 10 days of the quarter. This is because we prioritized international builds for the first half of the quarter and then U.S. local builds in the second half. This led to a binary inflow of Model 3 cars to EMEA in China and significantly stressed their delivery operations. Uh, we also faced import issues in Shanghai and Beijing and worked through those, but that also skewed deliveries towards the final couple of days and weeks of the quarter. So we're addressing this um, by, regionally unbalanced, uh, by building regionally balanced. Uh, we've already executed on this for Model 3, and uh, SNX will be implemented in the next week or two. The, the secondary benefit of this is that it enables us to run stable operations throughout the quarter, so we don't have to staff many of our delivery areas and logistic operations to the peak. We expect significant cost savings to come from this. Uh, on the P&L side, uh, we incurred $188 million of one-time adjustments that flowed through to net income. $120 million of this was related to SNX pricing adjustments that we announced on February 28th. This included a reserve for potential increased return rate for our residual value guarantee and buyback guarantee vehicles, and also an adjustment for uh, the inventory value of our used Tesla inventory and service loaners. There's an additional $67 million related to Q1 restructuring and other charges that flow through. Within the automotive business, one thing that I want to note here is that uh, automotive revenue was negatively impacted by $501 million attributed to the reserve increase for SNX that I just noted. If you adjust for this, the decline from Q4 to Q1 in revenue is roughly in line with the decline in deliveries. Within automotive gross margin, Model 3 gross margin declined slightly to approximately 20% to 20 percent. Um, uh, this is due to two factors. One is the pricing adjustments that we made on February 28th, as well as a mixed shift towards the standard range lineup with which we launched. We also successfully executed on a number of cost reductions with which offset this impact. Uh, labor content, warehousing, and scrap, as examples, all had double-digit improvements from Q4 to Q1. In, in spite of launching the standard range ver variants, we want to note that North America ASPs are close to $50,000, uh, with the majority of our orders being for long-range variants of Model 3. In SNX, uh, the impact on margin was more significant. Uh, two major pieces here. The volume reduction led to a reduction in fixed cost absorption, so that impacted our margin as well as the pricing actions that we took on February 28th. Uh, even though SNX had been in production for a while, we still continue to make uh, operational improvements there, uh, the labor content as an example, which improved quarter over quarter. A as we look to the future here, you know, I agree with Elon's sentiments about the excitement of our product lineup. Uh, from a financial standpoint, what we've effectively done here is build an incredible base of knowledge and assets that we can quickly scale and replicate into different products around the world. So Gigafactory Shanghai is a terrific example of this. Uh, as we noted in the letter, CapEx per unit of capacity is 50% for Giga Shanghai as compared to uh, Model 3 in the U.S. And the 50% uh, our, our internal forecast that we're executing against is actually better than that. 
And Model Y, as we've noted, is built on the Model 3 platform, uh, so we're able to leverage the knowledge there for capital efficient expansion. Uh, in energy as well, uh, as we've noted previously, uh, 2019 is a big year for storage, so a lot of exciting uh, improvements coming there. And the expansion will help improve margin uh, as we can better utilize some of the pit uh, assets that we've made investments in that. So just to conclude the opening remarks here, I personally never felt more excited about the future of the company. So looking forward to this discussion. Thank you very much, Zachary. Um, let's take some first questions from retail shareholders who have been uh, submitting their questions on say.com. The first question is, will Tesla be able to complete their purchase of Maxwell Technologies? What is holding that back? Jonathan, do you want to? Yeah, hi, it's Jonathan Chang, the general counsel here. Um, right now, we're just going through approvals with the SEC. Um, there's not um, a whole lot of things holding it back. We're on schedule. We're on track. Um, right now, we're looking to close in mid-May. Great, thanks. Thank you. Uh, the second question is, is Tesla considering creating an insurance program in order to further simplify the ownership experience and to more accurately take into account safety of driving an autopilot? The insurance market is very unreliable for Tesla owners right now. Uh, the answer is uh, yes, we are creating a Tesla insurance product, um, and we hope to launch that uh, in, in about a month. Okay. It will be much more compelling than anything else out there. Uh, great. Thank you very much. Uh, the next question is, um, Elon, most people, uh, when they think of Tesla, only see it as an automotive company. Can you speak to the energy side of the company, specifically the roadmap for when you see the energy side of things really taking off and generating major revenue for the company? Sure. The the, the challenge really is um, battery cell scarcity. As far as the stationary storage is concerned, we um, uh, we, we basically need enough cells to support the vehicle production um, as well as to, to for Powerwell and Powerpack. Uh, last year, in order to um, have enough cells for uh, Model 3, we actually had to convert um, all of the lines at the Gigafactory to uh, produce cells just for the Model 3. Uh, as opposed to Powerwell Powerpack, and so we're essentially scrounging cells from all around the world to um, at least continue some level of production on the uh, Powerwell and Powerpack. Um, uh, this year, we we, we think uh, we'll be able to allocate um, at, at least um, maybe five to ten percent of cell output on um, current JV. Like, what do you guys think? Uh, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, between five and ten percent, exactly. Yeah. Um, so um, now there, there are far fewer cells in a, in a Powerwall than, than than a car. So that that translates to, you know, it's look, you know, quite a decent number of, of, of Powerwalls. Um, and then we uh, will continue to use um, cells from a, a variety of suppliers around the world. The Powerwall and Powerpack, um, because they don't have to go through vehicle homologation, um, are uh, much more adaptable to using a variety of cells from other cell providers. Uh, so I, I would expect that Powerwall and Powerpack to see a very significant percentage growth this year, you know, maybe on the order of 300% or some very, some quite high number. Sorry? Sorry? Yeah, 300. I just, the team was just confirming, yeah, 300%. Um, so this is, this is a very big percentage growth rate. Um, it's, it's much faster than, than automotive, so over time, we would expect that to uh, that sort of growth rate would ho hopefully be able to continue, and and then uh, battery storage will become um, a, a bigger and bigger percentage of, of Tesla's business over time. Um, we also have we're also planning a significant increase in retrofit solar this year because uh, we believe we've, we've finally refined the product offering to be something that's extremely compelling and much more cost efficient to. Uh, deliver and install. Um, it's a radically streamlined process from what which, which was being done before, um, and we'll have more to say on that possibly next week. Um, and then the solar roof tile, uh, we're on version three of the design. Um, that necessarily takes a while to scale up because we have to be confident that the solar roof is going to last for on the order of 30 years. Um, and uh, because of the warranties of 20, 25 years. 
um, and, and you know, so the, the the rate at which you can iterate on SolarRoof is is necessarily slowed down by the according to the rate at which you can um, do accelerated aging on the roof, um, and we want the uh, installation process to be uh, simple and easy. Um, so I was just actually at the Buffalo uh, Tesla, Tesla Buffalo factory um, a few weeks ago, and um, I was pretty impressed with the team, uh, and uh, we're looking forward to, to scaling that up significantly uh, through the balance of this year and next. Thank you very much. Uh, the next question comes from Jeffrey. When and where will the Tesla semi-production begin? Uh, this, this is Jerome. Next year, we'll start production. We're very happy. We're driving the trucks extensively uh, with, um, I think, so far, yeah, quite the, amazing success. Yeah. The, the prototypes are working amazingly well. Yeah, very well. We just use them all the time. We load them to the maximum weight and um, continue to make improvements. Um, so we, we even use them to deliver some uh, Model 3s. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, the... Um, uh, so yeah, we'll start production next year. Uh, the location is not yet uh, set, but it's pretty clear that we make all the batteries and drive units in Reno. Great, thank you very much. Uh, it was Sparks, technically. Yeah, it's Sparks. Yeah, Northern Nevada. Yeah, Northern Nevada. Um, and perhaps the last question from retail: How how soon should current owners that purchase FSD get the new FSD computer? Um, I, I think the um, the, the um, for, from a features and functionality standpoint, I think there's there's no point getting the um, FSD upgrade if you don't already have it in the car uh, for probably about two or three months. That's when um, we'll start releasing features that are um, materially different from the feature set available on the version two uh, hardware. So just uh, no, no need to rush to the to get your computer. Uh, replace it's like two, two to three months before it becomes relevant um, and then it will obviously increase rapidly from then um, one other comment I'll make I'll make in case since nobody asked this explicitly uh, for model Y production um, we are right now um, trying to decide whether model Y vehicle production uh, should be in California or Nevada um, and uh, we, we, we expect to make a final decision on that uh, very soon. Um, but in the meantime, we've ordered all of the tooling um, and equipment required for Model Y. So uh, we do not expect this to in any way delay uh, production of Model Y. Um, but um, it, it's currently uh, a, a very close call between Nevada and California as to whether we do the Model Y. Um, at Giga or at Fremont, but those are those are the, the, the two options, and, and we'll hopefully be able to make a decision in the next uh, next few weeks. Thank you very much, Sherry. Uh, we can go to analyst questions in the question queue. Thank you. Our first question comes from Ryan Brinkman with J.P. Morgan. Hi. Thanks for taking my uh, question. Uh, your guidance for 90 to 100,000 2Q deliveries, when combined with the full year outlook, it, it suggests somewhere between. 35 and 45% sequential growth from the first half to the second. Can you talk about what is giving you the confidence to project that growth, and in particular what the order book or reservation list may be telling you? Um, yeah, the, we, 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 we do see um, strong demand for the vehicles, um, the, both SX and 3. Uh, the the standard range plus uh, model three is in, with autopilot included at thirty nine thousand five hundred is just an incredibly compelling vehicle um, and affordable to you know probably something on the order of like the, the top forty percent income owners in the u s uh, and, and and europe so uh, it's I, I think we'll see a lot of interest and in, in demand in that um, we, we are um, and then with the upgraded s and x I think a lot of people were kind of anticipating that there would be an SX upgrade. Um, and this really is kind of a game changer of an upgrade. So I, I think uh, what we, are, we are seeing an uptick in demand and we expect to see that be quite significant. Um, so, um, and, and we're also out of the seasonality of, the, the, of Q1, which people just generally don't like buying cars in winter. Um, and we're, we're getting past the overhang of the 
uh, that tax credit cliff, which for us ended in the, in the U.S. Uh, on December 31st. So these are all very positive factors. Um, we also have just a lot of markets where there's uh, where we're not even tapped into the demand, especially for Model 3. Uh, so we'll be uh, uh, releasing the um, right-hand drive Model 3 um, and uh, expect to see significant demand in uh, right-hand drive uh, countries. Um, overall, I, I feel really good about the way things are headed. Um, okay, thanks. And, and then my follow-up. Sorry. I was just going to say, on a previous call, uh, you indicated that the Y would not be built in Fremont because it was, I think you said, packed to the gills. I heard today that it is now a, a close call between California and uh, Nevada. Is anticipated demand for Fremont-built uh, vehicles uh, less than was previously thought, or have you managed to maybe find more capacity in Fremont, for example, with the tent or some other production method? Thanks. Um. <laughs> Uh, well, first of all, I obviously you know, I'm a fan of, of tents. Like, like, I mean, I, real, real, like, hardcore tents, not not like you know, Cub, Cub Scout tents, um, which are fine. <laughs> but um, the, the the this is actually credit goes to uh, a number of people in the Tesla team because they they actually looked at how could we do this in Fremont if if we had to, um, and we feel that we can actually append building space. Um, uh, to the uh, uh, basically to the west side of the building, um, and use a lot of internal space that's currently used for warehousing in um, in, in our Fremont factory, and so we believe it actually uh, can be done with minimal disruption uh, to add Model Y to to Fremont. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Our next question comes from Pierre Farragut with New Street Research. Uh, hey, thank you for my question. Uh, my first question is really on the Model S and Model X. And uh, Elon, you say you, you, you're comfortable with Elon. You see, uh, uh, you see, based on what you saw in April, do you think like the 25,000 units per quarter is the level of demand that is uh, uh, where you see the market coming back already, or are we not there yet? Uh, and more specifically in the U.S., um, the pull forward in Q4 probably hurt a lot demand for S and X. Is that something that you still see in the numbers today in recent weeks, or, or is that behind us? And I'll have a follow-up on Q2. Yeah, I mean, I think something um, something like uh, the re returning to the 100,000 a year annualized demand for S and X uh, is, is what we uh, – Anticipate that that's to the best of our knowledge. Uh, we don't have a crystal ball, but that's our, probably our best guess. Um, and sorry, what was the other part? Okay. Um, yeah, my question was about like the run rate of demand you see at the moment. Do you still feel uh, like weak demand in the U.S. because of the pull forward in Q4, or, or do you think demand returned to normal already? I, I think we expect demand to. We, we are we are seeing demand returning to normal in in Q2. And it, it might be a little okay. better than normal. It's it's. It, I don't have a crystal ball, so it's hard for me to say. But my impression right now is that uh, d demand is 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 quite solid, quite strong. Yeah. Yeah. This okay. Is and then my second my, my second question was uh, bri briefly on the uh, on. Sorry. Sorry. sorry I, yeah, just one thing I wanted to add to that, just on the production side of SNX. Um, we did reduce production in Q1, as was noted. Uh, that was part of the retooling that we put in place uh, to get the longer range uh, vehicle out with the improved suspension. And we're in the process of increasing production back up over the course of Q2. So um, just for the purpose of expectations, I mean, we will exit... Uh, Q2 at a higher production rate than we did in Q1 on SNX, and then return back to a more normal volume in Q3. It's already higher. Yeah. It's already increasing. Yeah. Okay. What's the second question? This really and is my third question. SX, yeah. SX, yeah. Or, or buying SX, yeah. And, and my follow-up was really on Q2, like with 90 to 100,000 units. 
uh, you're getting back to, to fairly nice volumes. And I'm surprised you don't, uh, you still expect um, uh, a loss. Uh, so, so maybe if you could take us through uh, where we will see in Q2 uh, pain points compared to Q4 and Q3, where you had a profit for, uh, for similar, uh, uh, similar volumes, how, how much of the, of the loss in Q2 would be uh, one-off uh, one cost, how much, how much is uh, the price points coming down uh, in the mix, and, uh, and how much is uh, related to pricing and other things? Uh, sure. Um, so, so part of it, um, we think it, if, if we didn't unwind what we call the wave, uh, where we uh, you know, uh, make cars uh, in the first half of the quarter uh, almost exclusively for Asia and Europe, and the second half almost exclusively for uh, North America, um, and, and then uh, actually even, even that is subdivided depending on whether it's West Coast or East Coast, um, then, then we could deliver more cars. Um, but we think it is important to unwind the, this, this, this wave because uh, it, it ends up being sort of optimizing for one quarter, but, but really adding a lot of cost and difficulty uh, um, and not just not being a, a good experience for customers um, and, and putting great stress on sales team. So, um, you know, if, if we're to fully optimize for profitability in, in Q2, I think we could do it, but, but then we would be unable to unwind this um, crazy wave of deliveries. Um, and it also helps our working capital uh, w within the quarter to not have the wave. Um, and then, uh, Zach, do you want to talk to some of the other items? Yeah, no, I think you summarized it well, Elon. Uh, uh Two other things that I would add. You know, one is that we did make pricing adjustments to our products in Q1, uh, which, which puts pressure on margin. And, uh, and so that's part of what we will see in Q2. You know, the teams are, all, are working extremely hard and making terrific progress on improving the cost efficiency of the business without sacrificing growth. And, you know, that in combination with the efficiencies from unwinding the wave is where we'll, we feel we'll be comfortable returning to a place of profitability in Q3 once all of those pieces are in place. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's go to the next question. Our next question is from Adam Jonas with Morgan Stanley. <clears throat> Thanks. Uh, first question, Elon, a couple days ago I asked you, how safe is the autopilot technology? And you, and you said something like twice as safe as um, as normal driving. Um, but but you seem to be in a really unique position to really collect exabytes of data you know, you can potentially be externally validated, much more rigorously provided to a regulatory body or insurance institute to just show how much safer autopilot is. When when could we could we expect to see Tesla do that? That, that, that type of validation that investors could also get a sense of, because it seems really, really important for adoption. Thanks. And I have a follow-up. Um, I, I think we're just going to continue to report the, 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 the absolute numbers. Um, the, I, I think reporting the details just gives the, those who um, you know, are opposed to Tesla, that, that they can sort of like data mine the situation and then try, try to turn a positive into a negative. So we're just going to keep reporting mm -hmm. what we report. Um, we do give some more detailed information to insurance companies, uh, or, you know, and, and, and to help with uh, with rates. And obviously, with when, as we launch our own insurance product uh, next month, uh, we will certainly incorporate that information into uh, the, the insurance rates. So we can um, because we essentially have a, a, a substantial price uh, sort of arbitrage or information arbitrage opportunity where we we have. Uh, direct knowledge of the risk profile of customers um, based on you know the car, and then, and then if they want to buy Tesla insurance, they, they have to agree to not, not drive the car in a crazy way, um, or, or they can, but then the insurance rates higher. Um, so, so we're just going to keep reporting you know the numbers that, uh, at a broad brushstroke level, which I think uh, is really what, what, you know what matters. What a pilot okay, on, what a I understand pilot it. What's, what's the safety? Yeah. Okay, and just just a follow up, Elon, <clears throat> and you kind of alluded to a little bit. Um, there's, there's just so much, so much drama around Tesla's share price and quarterly results from the outside, at least. It, it just it just looks like a 
like a huge distraction. And at the same time, there's so much alternative capital and large amounts of strategic capital that uh, is incrementally deplo deployed in domains where Tesla has real leadership. So how important is it for Tesla to be a publicly traded company, Elon? <laughs> well, it's made, I don't surprise you, but I, you know, I, I would prefer we were private. Um, but uh, that unfortunately, I think the ship, that ship has sailed. So, um, but is it important? I mean, do you think the company's value is maximized being being public, or, or is it just is just only so much you can do, and and you got to you know play the hand that you're dealt? Well, I mean, it being public does feel like you know the the, the sort of price of the stock is is being set in kind of a manic depressive way. Um, and uh, I think like Warren Buffett's analogy is it's like, you know, being a public traded company is like ha having someone stand at the edge of your, of, your, like, of your home and just randomly yell different prices for your house every day. <laughs> Still the same house. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a bit of a distraction at times, um, but uh, I'm not sure what to do about it. Okay, I understand. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Maynard Um with Macquarie. Hi, thanks. Um, in your update letter, Today, you talked about supplier limitations and impacting production. Can you just talk about what that was and how long you think that might continue to impact you? And then have a follow-up. Oh, um, in, in Q2, we don't we think we are through supplier interruptions, at least there aren't any significant ones that we're aware of. Okay. Um, and and I, I guess there there was some concern out there that Model 3 was cannibalizing SNX, uh, despite them being all different vehicle classes. And it doesn't sound like you're seeing that at all, but I was just wondering if you were, had any evidence that proves or disproves this. Any thoughts there would be helpful. Thanks. No, they really do seem to be different market segments. Um, yeah. And, and also, uh, about only 3.5% of our trade-ins for Model 3 are coming from Model S. So it's uh, for, from all the Model 3 trade-ins, Model S accounts for a super, super tiny portion. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, the people who have bought a Model S just want to trade it in for another Model S, or maybe an X. You know. Okay, let's go to the next question, please. Thank you. Our next question comes from Dan Galps with Wolf Research. Hey, um, thanks everybody. Um, a couple questions. Um, one, you, you mentioned um, a $50,000 ASP for North America Model 3s. Can you give us a little bit more detail on kind of, is that a number like since the uh, February 28th uh, price adjustments? Is that what you're kind of seeing as, as order flow? I mean, I'm sorry, as ASPs in kind of the current order flow since those price adjustments? Yes, this is Zach. Uh, I mean, what we saw on February 28th when we launched the standard range and standard range plus variants is that there was pent-up demand for those products that uh, released very quickly after it was announced. And then, you know, as more time has passed and order rates have stabilized, uh, it's starting, you know, the, the average ASP has actually been increasing each week ever since, you know, as the order rate stabilizes. And the um, just under 50,000 ASP represents the most recent data. And we think it's starting to stabilize there. And uh, we'll see where, where things trend um, in EMEA in China as well. But, you know, what we're seeing in North America is that over 50% of our orders are for long-range variants. And the ASPs are far holding That's that's really helpful. <clears throat> and the follow-up is, um, I know uh, you know order questions have, have been asked before, but m let me put it this way. So you know that I, I imagine that SNX orders you know need to have a couple of days to to pick up after the upgrades. Um, but on Model Three, you know whatever your assumption is within the 90 to 100k uh, Q2 deliveries, uh, whatever that assumption is for Model 3, d does your current order flow support that, or do you need something kind of positive to happen over the course of the quarter to, to get there? I, I think 
I, I think we'll, I think I'll be fine. Yeah, I don't think that there's any any major thing required. Okay, thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Our next question comes from Tony Sakanaji with Bernstein. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, Elon, I was wondering if you could talk about this whole notion of raising capital. Um, mm -hmm. For about the last year, you sort of shoot it in, as almost a an evil thing. Um, and I think a lot of investors believe that the company might be better served um, in its growth aspirations if it uh, did raise capital, had a stronger cash base. Um, and given that you you know, used up about $2 billion worth of cash in a quarter, um, aren't you, you know, potentially trying to, you know, go through a very thin space um, while trying to grow quickly and be self-funding, which, quite frankly, may, may be unrealistic. So why not raise capital, and why do you view that as something that Tesla shouldn't do or wouldn't do? And I have a follow-up, please. Yeah, I mean, I don't think raising capital should be a substitute for making the company operate more effectively. So that, you know, in that sense, I think it's just it's important to have a strong financial discipline the company and just uh, to make sure we don't have extraneous ex expenses and that we're just being frugal with capital. Um, uh, you know, if we just keep raising capital over time, then uh, it, it, it just takes it, it, we don't have the forcing function for improving the, the, the fundamental operation of the business. Um, so I think it is healthy to uh, be on a Spartan diet for a while. Um, you know, at, at this point, I do think there is uh, some merit to raising capital. Um, that's, uh, I, but, but, you know, this is sort of probably about the right timing, but, yeah. Um, so does does that mean that investors should expect the capital raise in the near to medium term? And I, I hear you on the forcing constraint, but uh, I mean growth does eat cash, especially in the capital intensive business. And if you really do believe you have a first mover advantage, why wouldn't you want to push it as quickly as possible, even if it meant raising capital in the short term? Yeah, first of all, I should say that I don't think that capital has been a constraint on our growth thus far. Um, and if I thought there was a fundamental constraint on growth, we would, we would have raised capital before now. Um, uh, but I think it is very important as the company scales to make sure we are, are on a solid foundation um, and uh, that, that we, are, we have the appropriate uh, financial discipline throughout the company and are spending money very efficiently. Um, at this point, I think we are we, we are doing that. Um, not that there isn't more work to do, but I think Tesla today is is a far more efficiently operating organization than it was a year ago. Uh, we've made dramatic improvements across the board, and so I think there's there's merit to the idea of raising capital at this point. Just, just to add to that, the the journey we've been on for the last 12 to 18 months on being more efficient in how we spend money how we spend money has really changed the culture inside the company. Uh, it's enabled us to accelerate a number of cost reductions um, uh, on the COG side of our products and then you know, make improvements in operating expenses as well. And then as we look forward to, to capital investments for Giga Shanghai and Model Y and ultimately a European facility, and our CapEx per unit of capacity has come down significantly uh, through the work for the, from the team here. So I think it has been a very productive journey for us. And te technically, we did raise some debt capital in China for the Shanghai Giga on the order of $500 million. So that, that uh, we want to make sure that, that we, we don't have to draw upon global capital to fund the Shanghai factory. Thank you. Let's go to the next question, please. Thank you. Our next question comes from Alex Potter with Piper Jaffrey. Hi guys. Um, was wondering when you say obviously the logistical challenges were uh, were a headwind in the quarter. Um, and you talk about trying to regionally balance your deliveries going forward. Is that 
basically saying that people in Europe and China are just going to need to wait longer to take their deliveries and you're going to try to emphasize more North America in order to, I guess, boost your working capital and your profitability in every quarter going forward? Uh, no, they would, they would actually receive their cars sooner. Um, it just means that it, instead of uh, building cars in, in batches, um, where, where, say, the, the, the first half of the quarter is just dedicated to China, Europe cars, and the second half is dedicated to North American cars, that we blend uh, vehicle production th uh, for customers throughout the world uh, throughout the quarter. Um, and uh, and, and, and that this, this puts much less strain on the system. We, we don't want a situation, again, like, like, like we had like, uh, in Q1, where uh, essentially all the cars were arriving at customers worldwide at the same time. Um, we literally delivered half of the entire quarter's deliveries were in the final 10 days of Q1. That's insane. <laughs> so we're, 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 we need to, I think we need to unwind that. And it's also just not a great customer experience because uh, we're, sh we're shorthanded. Um, and then we have to redeploy like people from like that are working in sales, HR, legal, engineering, every, everyone uh, just, just to deliver cars. And then we, um, you know, then they can't do the regular jobs. So it just makes sense to just blend the production according to demand throughout the quarter. Okay, that makes sense. Um, then the second question, uh, I guess on go-to-market, there was some a period of time there where the company was focused on closing storefronts, a fair amount of noise made around that, and then it looked like some of the commentary was hedging that strategy. Um, was just wondering if there's any update there um, and if you have one, that'd be, that'd be helpful. Thanks. Sure. Um, you know, I think, um, I mean, Tesla, and specifically, I didn't, didn't handle the messaging that well. Um, the, 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 like, and then that's amplified by, you know, we make a statement and sort of taking to an extreme, um, or there's a misunderstanding. Uh, we, we, we certainly uh, will continue to have stores, and we will continue to add stores. Uh, provided they are in locations where there is high foot traffic um, and uh, for people with that are, that are in our target market, um, so we, will, we actually will continue to add stores in locations that are no-brainers. But we will we will uh, close stores in locations where they're, they're incredibly hard to find um, and the the foot traffic foot traffic of potential buyers is very low such that it does not uh, support the cost of the store and the people in it. So I think this is just common sense. Um, and then all sales online just means that um, even if you go into a store, you, we, we guide you to, be, to order the, the, the car on your phone. So the store is essentially like, like they're like information centers, uh, a place you can get a test drive um, and you know, buy some Tesla merchandise that kind of thing. But all sales online doesn't mean all stores are closed. It just means that when you buy, buy a car, you always do it on your phone in the store or, or, or at home or anywhere. Uh, people took all orders online to mean all stores are closing. This is, this, that's not what's meant. Okay, very good, thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from Philippe Hukwas with Jeffries. Um, yes, thank you for taking the question. Um, I was just wondering if you can comment on the agreement you seem to have reached with FCA on the possibility of selling your uh, CO2 credits to them in Europe and, um, and what that means to your potential um, cash inflow, when that might start occurring, and if there is by any chance any of those payments already in the Q1 cash position. Um, it's a confidential deal with FCA, so we, we and we agreed with FCA not to comment on it publicly. So we we must abide by that. Right. And can I ask you a question of going back to what Adam was saying about the drama that surrounds your stock? Unfortunately, um, why don't you reduce some of it by disclosing maybe on a on a monthly basis your deliveries and also maybe you know disclosing early your greenhouse revenue instead of just the Zev. Um, so we get right away a better view on, on some of these, um, you know, details that um, kind of move the stock. Um, I, I think that would actually be counterproductive 
uh, because people read too much into what occurred in a month. I mean, e even at a quarterly basis, things can be lumpy. Um, and so the, the more granularity uh, that's provided, uh, let's say at a monthly level, the, the, the people would reach all sorts of conclusions that don't make sense. Um, you know, it's like literally like sales to, to a particular country, say overseas, are, are affected by when the ship arrives. Um, and, and so if a ship arrives, you know, on the, the 31st of the month or the first of the next month, this will make it look like something dramatic has happened, but actually the ship was just a, a day late. So people mm -hmm. read, that, that would increase the drama, not decrease it. And we're feeling the ship 100% now, too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, we're also Thank you. Yeah, feeling the ship's 100%, so it's like, it, it just ends up being lumpy. Yeah, um, yeah so like if, if, you, if, you, if you manage, if, if you've calculated like GDP of, of, of a country, or say of the U.S., uh, GDP on Sunday is extremely low. And GDP on Monday is extremely high. <laughs> this does not mean GDP, nothing's really changed. Okay, thank you. Thank Let's go to the next question. Thank you. Our next question comes from David Tamburino with Goldman Sachs. Great. Um, thanks for taking our questions. First one, on, on customer deposits, it looks like it was essentially flat, though maybe slightly down. I understand there's probably some timing with deliveries that could have you know, helped it towards the end of the quarter. Um, but we would have thought that it would have increased given the Model Y unveil. So our question is, what was the initial order intake for the Model Y? And just coming through some of your comments earlier, what daily order rate are you seeing right now for the rest of your products? Um, I think we don't want to comment, comment on the granularity of, of, of deposits. Again, people just read too much into this. Um, you know, we're, we're not uh, playing up the Model Y because we're not, it's not in production. So you can't really read anything into Model Y orders at this point. Okay. Um, well, then my second question will just be if you anticipate a further price adjustment with the next level of U.S. credit uh, phasing out July 1st. Uh, we don't comment on future price changes unless you see it publicly. Okay, uh, let's go to the next question, please. Thank you. Our next question comes from Colin Rush with Oppenheimer. Thanks so much. Yeah, could you comment on whether you'll be uh, battery constrained at 100,000 vehicles a quarter in, in 2Q? Self-constrained, you mean? Uh, we don't have to yeah. being self-constrained at 400,000. Okay, and and then as you look at the the Maxwell technology and integration, you know, post close, how quickly do you think you'll be able to integrate that technology into the battery production? And and you know, could you comment on on potential for for chemistry and form factor changes as uh, that gets integrated? I mean, you're really asking some secret source questions here. Um, yeah, I think we'll we'll have a, I think we'll probably have an investor day, like we had autonomy day maybe later this year or early next, um, just to go over the cell and battery uh, technology and, and future strategy. And I think that will be very informative. But we do recognize the criticality of this. Okay. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from Joseph Spack with RBC Capital Markets. Uh, thanks. First question is is really just a, a clarification on in, in the outlook the 25% non-gap gross margin that you're targeting. Is that uh, over the midterm, or is that something you expect to hit um, by the end of this year? And if, if so, what what gets SNX back higher given the price cuts? Yeah, this is accurate. Um, that's guidance that we're targeting for the end of the year. Although, uh, you know, internally we're working towards SNX non-gap gross margin uh, achieving that sooner. Uh, the biggest lever there is kind of two components. One is as we increase volume back on our SNX production line, uh, there's a, a just a natural benefit there from the fixed cost absorption, which will help us. But we also have a number of cost reduction projects in place mm -hmm. that we're executing on over the course of the year. And then the third piece, you know, which applies to SNX but also Model 3, we're seeing an increased take rate on our full self-driving offering. And, you know, there are revenue deferrals associated with that, given that the full suite of uh, functionality is not there. And as uh, the, that option becomes, uh, approaches feature complete and we roll out more, we'll be able to uh, collect more revenue on that. And so all of those things together, you know, within our internal plans gives us confidence. 
Yeah, it, it, we should first mention that the, the upgraded um, powertrain for SNX uh, was actually resulting in a um, significant cost down um, because we essentially took the high volume uh, rear, dri uh, rear drive units of the Model 3, which is extremely efficient, the semi-permanent magnet uh, motor um, and, and, and power electronics and everything, and we um, made a version, a version for that of, of that for the front drive unit of the uh, of, of SNX, um, and so we were actually able to get a cost reduction while improving range and performance of the car. That's just one example. Okay, and the second question is just, um, you know, looking at the, the 10K, you, you, you've, you've uh, continually noted this $4.9 billion purchase obligation, which I think is primarily related to uh, Panasonic, a Giga One, and then Elon, in some of your communication, you've indicated production constraints. So I, I guess the question is, does that $4.9 billion correlate to reaching that 35 gigawatt hour rate? Uh, and if, if you can't hit that because of production constraints, does that adjust? Yeah, so this is where I have. Uh, so the purchase obligation, the 10K, is basically for the entire contract which we have for Panasonic. It's not something that uh, we need to hit, I mean, make the purchases tomorrow. So this is going to take a couple of years. Okay. Thank you. Our next question comes from Colin Langan with UBS. Oh, great. Thanks for taking my question. Um, it, I mean, it sounds like from the, the tone of the call that you don't see that there's a demand issue for some of the products, but um, margins seem to be under pressure, and typically automakers cut pricing when there is a demand issue. So what, what, what is the logic of the price cuts during the quarter? Uh, I mean, our, our goal, as we've been very clear about from the beginning of the company, is to um, make our cars as affordable as possible. Um, and. Uh, we felt it was important to offer the $35,000 Model 3 um, and then to create a, a, a sort of a bundled package for the uh, Model 3 with the increased range because uh, we think actually that difference between 220 and 240 is, is quite important and more important than people realize uh, in range. Um, and, uh, you know, having a partial premium interior and then bundling water pilot. Uh, so we, th we thought those, like, we wanted to create like a product that's really just nails the sweet spot, which I think the $39,500 Model 3 is just really nailed the sweet spot, and we're seeing consumer response accordingly. Um, and if people can still buy the $35,000 version of the, of the Model Model 3 that obviously doesn't have autopilots and, um, and and has a software range restriction and that kind of thing, um, it's, it's like slightly more inconvenient to, to, to buy. You just have to make a phone call uh, or visit a store. So it's, it's not like, you know, you have to complete the, you know, the, some you know, optical course or something, um, but uh, but we see very few people actually take taking us up on that thirty five thousand dollar offer. But it is it is there and will remain there. And as a follow up, um, you're still targeting the China facility ramp by the end of the year. Uh, are you still confident in the three thousand per week? And and do you have a battery supplier yet? Because it's getting pretty close to the point. Uh, yeah, the the, the Shanghai Gigafactory progress is going incredibly well. Uh, testament to the outstanding execution of our team on the ground there. Um, I, I get daily uh, emails with Delta pictures from one day to the next um, from from Tom Zhu who, who leads uh, the, the Gigafactory program, um, and you know so we're I'm literally discussing it. Uh, we're getting updates so seven days a week. Um, so the the uh, midnight Gigafactory email. Um, but so, uh, in terms of execution, it's outstanding. But of course, uh, the pr production goes as fast as the slowest item. This is always very important to, to bear in mind. So we have 99% of things in good shape, but 1% is missing. You still can't make a car. So, um, with, with respect to that, that's it. It, it. it looks like we'll reach volume production at the end of this year with with. Uh, you know, let's say more than a thousand cars a week, uh, maybe two thousand uh, from Shanghai Giga at the end of this year. That that's what it looks like to be the case right now. If it's not if it's not then, it'll be shortly thereafter. Um, and then 
we, we expect to have um, multiple cell suppliers for Shanghai Giga. Great. Uh, thank you very much, everyone. Unfortunately, this is all the time we have uh, for Q&A today. Uh, appreciate all of your questions, and we look forward to talking to you in the next quarter. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for participating in today's conference. This concludes the program. You may all disconnect and have a wonderful day. Uh -huh.